everyone. Today is going to be a hard topic, so trigger warning before we get started. In most cases, early podcast episodes usually aren't something as hard to talk about. However, based on what I'm hearing from my duality community, miscarriage education surrounding fitness seems to be important. This episode is not meant to be given as specific medical advice for you as an individual. It is meant to inform you about miscarriage statistics, what the autonomic nervous system is, why CrossFit may be harsh on your body after miscarriage, and to give you alternatives. As a reminder, the majority of early miscarriages happen spontaneously. There is no true reason why they happen. You doing CrossFit is most likely not the reason why you had a a miscarriage or is the reason why future miscarriages will happen. If you need help to navigate this difficult time, if you've had a miscarriage or know somebody who has, please DM me, email me, reach out to another trusted medical provider or family or colleague or chaplain so you can be supported. If you have had multiple miscarriages, please seek help from a licensed medical provider that you trust who can then address your genetics, hormones, and past past medical history. Welcome to Duality in Motion, the podcast where we explore the complexities of the pregnancy and postpartum spaces focusing on fitness, nutrition, and mindset. My name is Dr. Chrissy Clark, and I am a board-certified public floor clinical specialist in physical therapy and a CrossFit Level 2 trainer. I am so excited to use this podcast to provide as much information as possible to help you during your perinatal journey. As the founder of Duality Public Health and Wellness, my mission is to empower individuals to live the life they want during the pregnancy and postpartum spaces using holistic techniques that recognize the interconnectedness of the mind, body, and spirit. Through this podcast, I'll share insights and stories from experts and real people exploring the ups and downs, the joys and challenges of pregnancy and postpartum. Join me as we embark on this journey together of discovering the power of duality and motion. All right, so right off the bat, we're going to start about talking about statistics on miscarriage. And a miscarriage, which is also called an early pregnancy loss, is when there is a pregnancy loss before 20 weeks. Um, For people who know they're pregnant, so that's you have a positive test or you've had an ultrasound, about 10 to 20 percent of those pregnancies will end in a miscarriage. And 80 percent of those miscarriages happen in the first trimester before the 12th week of pregnancy. Uh, The number um, I have also seen has gone up to 30 percent of pregnancies end in miscarriage. Um, because a lot of times there are people who have a miscarriage uh, early on before they even know they're pregnant. So let's think of it as you have your period, then two weeks later you ovulate, and then two weeks after that you have your period again. And if you say you get pregnant during the ovulation time, 
and you have a miscarriage within those first two weeks, you might just think it's your period. Um, so the fact that maybe you were pregnant, but you didn't know, um, that could increase that rate of miscarriages and or pregnancies ending in miscarriage up to 30%. But the rate is usually about 10 to 20% of pregnancies, known pregnancies end in a miscarriage. Um, so, like I said earlier, 80% of miscarriages happen before the 12th week of pregnancy. Um, miscarriage in the second trimester happens about 1% to 5% of the time in between the 13 and 19 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, so, the further along you are in your pregnancy, the less likely that a uh, miscarriage will happen. That's why a lot of times people won't tell family members or friends or the world that they are pregnant until after the first trimester, just because the odds are low of a miscarriage. Uh, and that's a whole nother topic and a whole nother podcast episode um, that we can talk about. Um, but I just want to focus on the statistics here. Um, a lot of times when people have a miscarriage, they're really nervous about getting pregnant again because they're afraid of having another miscarriage. And repeat miscarriages or one that happens back to back actually is a really low risk. It's only about 1% of pregnant people have miscarriages or repeat miscarriages. Um... And what's really interesting, too, is that the few months after you have a miscarriage, you're actually at the most fertile you might ever be in your life, um, just because then your body knows, well, but the most likely reason why the miscarriage happened was because the embryo and sperm coming, or the embryo from the egg and the sperm coming together has chromosomal issues and so your body's like huh so maybe the sperm or the egg wasn't the best option for this time so i'm going to give you my best egg that i have in my ovary um to make the a bigger a best chance of having um a better outcome in the future um it is kind of uh, disheartening to hear that um because I don't know about you, but I definitely did not want to even think about having sex, let alone attempting to have sex for a pregnancy um, after having a miscarriage for a few months. Um, uh, I had my miscarriage um, in February and it is now June. So that's February, March, April, May, June, four months um, almost. And my husband and I are finally at a point where we can begin that process. Um, so uh, keep that in mind that even though you might be more biologically fertile um, after having a miscarriage, it really is dependent on when you feel comfortable if and when you are wanting to try to get pregnant again. So we don't really know all of the causes of miscarriage, um, but 70% of all miscarriages are caused by 
a chromosomal issue. So your chromosomes are what um, creates your DNA essentially in uh, your body. And if there's any part of those chromosomes missing or there's extra or there's mutations in it, then that can lead to um, the embryo not being viable for life. And so a miscarriage is actually a way for nature to protect mom and to protect baby for from long-term difficulties in the end. Um, the other reasons for miscarriage are usually either an infection or there are anatomical changes or difficulties within the uterus and the cervix itself. Um, there are um, risks involved of uh, that increase, or there are reasons why uh, there is an increased risk of having a miscarriage. Um, if you've had um, two or more um, previous miscarriages, that increases the risk. Um, age being over 35, I've heard that that number is kind of increasing up to 40, um, but still in the OBGYN world, 35 is one of those cutoff points that we need to keep an eye on. Um, if we are smoking or drinking alcohol or using um, street drugs, um, being exposed to harmful chemicals, um, hormonal issues, autoimmune diagnoses, other diagnoses like kidney disease, thyroid disease, that kind of thing. And it could also be environmental in the fact of if we have intense stress, whether it's long-term or short-term, um, that can increase the risk of miscarriage. Um, if we think about what the purpose of life is at from a very evolutionary and basic concept, it is survival. Um, obviously, there's more joy and there's more to life than just surviving. Um, but if we think about where our human species has started from and where we're at now, that majority of our existence as a species um, was about surviving day to day. Um, and if we are in a situation where our survival is at risk, our body is going to choose us over, over a baby. Um, but thankfully, that doesn't happen as often as like I said earlier, that the chromosomal um, changes uh, being the most likely cause. Um, this stress component also bleeds into socioeconomic status and uh, racial disparities that happen within uh, our healthcare and our just our society in the United States in general. Um, there is tons of research showing that um, uh, racism within the medical system is a huge reason why um, health outcomes are less for um, Black and Native American uh, groups of people. Um, if we are homeless or at a risk of violence or at a risk of malnutrition, that can all increase risk of having um, other health concerns, which then can increase the risk of having a miscarriage. So all of that does um, go into effect. And so now um, 
I am going to talk a little bit more specifically about my experience with a miscarriage. Um, so if this is too triggering for you or you are not wanting to listen to this portion, please skip ahead. Um, so my experience with a miscarriage was really interesting. Um, my husband and I started our, um, pregnancy journey, um, nine months before I, we even started to attempt to actually make a baby. Um, I went to my primary care to make sure that my blood worked really good. My blood work looked really good, that um, my hormones looked good. My, I had some, most likely some SIBO happening. So some gut issues and I wanted to make sure that those were taken care of um, all before we started to try to conceive. And that took about nine months of making sure that uh, everything looked good. And this definitely plays into my um, type A personality and my organizer and planner personality of trying to control my body um, as much as possible and to make it the best that it could possibly be um, before uh, attempting to get pregnant. Um, and I remember when I got the call from my uh, primary care provider saying that the last round of blood work looked amazing, everything looked really good, and that um, it was a great time to start uh, trying to conceive. So my husband and I actually uh, got pregnant the very first try. So in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, like my blood work is amazing. My gut's amazing. My sleep is doing so well. My body is as primed as ever to um, have a baby. And I, uh, and we got pregnant the first time, like we can't go wrong. This is absolutely amazing. So we found out that we were pregnant really, really, really early on. And there were two things that really, um, that were a tell sign that we were pregnant. One was my breasts were more sore than I've ever felt them to be sore um, and I knew that was a little different and also my dog Kobe would not leave my side he was on my feet constantly every time that I walked um, including he would sit outside the bathroom um, to make sure I was okay um, he would be like up on my chest if I was sitting on the couch. He was um, another reason why uh, we kind of knew that something was happening. Um, so within a few days of having my first missed period, um, took a test and it was positive. And that was technically around four weeks pregnant. And at the time, uh, we had just gotten to my parents' house that we were going to stay for a month. And um, we 
told them as soon as we found out um because we're going to be spending a week or a month in their home and us not drinking um and thankfully my husband is he's like if you uh are limited in what you can eat and drink then i'm gonna limit it so that's was very nice of him to do that so it'd be odd if um my husband and i weren't participating in any form of alcohol um with my family while we were in florida so they found out literally the same day that we found out um so we already had people that we told and i know that's usually not um, normal because most people wait until after that first trimester because we talked about earlier how the risk of having a miscarriage later on is less um, but in our circumstances we had to tell people and um, a few weeks after that is when we told um, my husband's family and then unfortunately um, we at nine-ish weeks is when um, we had the miscarriage. And um, I had had some spotting um, prior to the miscarriage. And I was talking to the midwife that we had chose to have the baby with. Um, she was like, there's a many reasons why we can have um, uh, spotting, blood spotting um, during the early portions of pregnancy and how it could be when um, the transfer of the hormones that are produced by the ovaries are now to the placenta. It could be implantation bleeding. It could be a few things. So she was like, just continue to monitor it. But if you feel like something's really not the best, then um, then you can go see a me another medical provider. And, um, and in reality, like if the embryo isn't at at least six weeks um there is nothing to see on uh, there's no you know sign of electrical activity of the heartbeat before that so seeing somebody before that six week mark um wasn't necessarily uh the best option um because we don't have a lot of information at that time so um the morning but the morning of of when the miscarriage started happening or was actually expelling, um, there was more blood this time. So definitely not like the small spotting that we I had before. And I knew in my gut and my intuition was telling me this was happening. So uh, my husband and I went to the emergency room because um, we didn't really know how to navigate it. So we went um, and we had blood work done. Um, and had um, a both uh, abdominal and intravaginal ultrasound. And it was confirmed either that we were wrong on our dates and that the, the embryo was only five and a half weeks gestation, or I was having a miscarriage. And at the time I was at nine weeks um, and I said, I know exactly when I was ovulating, um, because I was using ovulation sticks, um, to figure out when that was happening. So, um, we knew that, um, the miscarriage was happening. So, um, I am 
incredibly thankful that we were in a state that had access to all healthcare that I possibly may have needed during a miscarriage. Um, in the long run, I didn't need to have any medication or a DNC in order to pass um, all of the tissue that needed to pass during a miscarriage. Um, but if I needed something like that, um, then that would, would be available to me. Um, I, I, ironically, I guess, um, had ordered uh, period underwear and period briefs prior to us leaving, not quite thinking that, on, on our lawn trip, not thinking that we would get pregnant the first time. And so using those products um, really, really helped me um, physically um, cope with what was happening. Um, it was one less thing I had to worry about of, and this is a little graphic here, of blood being everywhere in my clothes and the bed and the couch and all of that um, in our travel trailer. So um, I was really fortunate that was one less thing I had to worry about. Um, I did have the day after the miscarriage was confirmed, um, I had a terrible vasomotor uh, reaction to my uterus contracting super hard and then it pressed upon my colon or my large intestine um which then prompted this fight or flight response um because i my uterus was contracting and then my rectum was contracting to get poop out and so all of that created um nausea and sweating and uh chills and shakes and extreme pain. Um, that was the most pain I've ever felt in my entire life. And um, it scared Kurt, uh, my husband, so much. And once I was really able to control um, it a little bit more, um, I was able to direct him on what I needed um, to feel safe and to come back down. And, um, and I was able to recover from that uh, well um, after just going straight to bed after that. Um, so I bled from the miscarriage for about a week. Um, and then my first period back after um, having the miscarriages, m miscarriage took about six weeks. Um, so a little bit longer than um, a traditional period would be. Um, and thankfully, since then, my uh, menstrual cycle has been fairly regular. So like I said earlier, uh, your return back to attempting to get pregnant again is really dependent on you as a person, as a couple, um, if that is something that you want to do um and there can be a lot of ptsd involved um so make sure that you have um help with that if that is something that you're seeing is happening um, to make sure that your long-term health is being taken care of so that was the first half of this episode talking about 
miscarriage, the statistics, and my own experiences. So next, we're going to dive more into the specific topic of why wouldn't CrossFit be the best type of exercise modality after a miscarriage. And before we get into that specific, I think we first need to talk about the autonomic nervous system. So our autonomic nervous system is the system that controls our heart and our lungs and parts of our brain and our organs inside our abdomen. So this is the system that we can't necessarily control everything on. It also uh, regulates hormones um, when they should be released depending on what part of that autonomic nervous system is activated. Uh, We can manipulate it in some capacity, but uh, it just is programmed to know what to do when it hits a certain threshold. So our autonomic nervous system can be split into two different systems. One is the sympathetic system which is our fight, flight, freeze, and fawn uh, system. And then it's the parasympathetic system, which is the rest, digest, and sexual intercourse system. And we need both of them to survive. So just like how I created the duality idea of my business, I didn't create duality that's been around for centuries um but why i called my business um duality um is because everything in our life is needs to be in some form of balance within a fluctuate with a a normal fluctuation in order to work properly and that's just not the physical body that's mentally emotionally relationships spiritually all that kind of stuff So examples of when the fight or flight system or the sympathetic system is activated would be exercise um, if there is either a real or a perceived threat. So um, some of um, a lot of my ladies would understand this, like when you are walking alone at night, um, the perceived threat is your safety in terms of someone harming you while you're walking home. Um, Even though there is no true threat that you can see, we all have been conditioned to make sure that we are safe and take precautions to be safe and be aware of our surroundings. And so that perceived threat um, is gonna activate our sympathetic nervous system. So we're gonna have our pupils um, open up uh, wider so that we can get more light in so we can see um, things. Our heart rate's going to go up. Um, our sensations, our uh, feeling and hearing and smelling is all going to be elevated in order for us to survive. And there could be a real actual threat, um, which could be um, a dog chasing you or um, something like that. Um, the sympathetic nervous system also is activated when we exercise when we have stress, um, when we orgasm, um, when we um, 
uh, when we wake up in the morning. Um, that is the system that wakes us up in the morning. So all of that is needed for survival. And then our parasympathetic nervous system or our rest and digest system is what gets us to sleep. That's what gets us in the mood to have sex. Um, that is what um, lets us go to the bathroom. That's what helps us digest food. Um, that's what allows healing to happen in our body. So obviously that is also needed in our system, in our body as well. What a lot of people are talking about now is that we, as a society, especially in the Western world, there is an imbalance between those two systems. We tend to have more fight or flight um, because we have a lot of perceived threats in our everyday life. Um, being on high alert all the time, especially if you are commuting to and from work in a really busy city, um, financial stress, um, relationship stress, both physically and emotionally, um, the constant grind culture, the constant um, over-exercising and under-eating, all of that can create a system out of balance where our sympathetic nervous system is more overstimulated than our parasympathetic nervous system. And for our, for our in order for all of our systems in our body to work more optimally, we should be in our parasympathetic more than 50% of the time in our day. And unfortunately, with how we live our life, like I said earlier, um, it's usually the opposite. So this, in turn, creates dysregulation. Um, and when we're dysregulated, that means we can have difficulty sleeping, we can have uh, digestion issues, um, we can have skin issues, we can have mental health issues, um, we can have anxiety and depression symptoms coming about, um, we can have pain. And all of that, unfortunately, is sometimes touted as, well, you're just getting older and that's just part of getting older. And in reality, it's the fact that we have a hard time adapting to that much stress in our life. And stress in reality is just something that makes us adapt in our life. And when we have to constantly adapt due to so many reasons, then our body has a hard time keeping up. So when we're in this dysregulation for longer periods of time, that's when we can see depletion. And there can be a generalized depletion, which that could be in terms of having malabsorption problems. Um, that could be autoimmune disease, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia. Um, it could have um, significant menstrual cycle changes. Um, and in sport, um, that is called relative energy depletion in sport, uh, which is red, um, R-E-D-S now, or red S, um, which that it takes depletion even to a whole nother, um, point, And that tends to look like, um, low bone density, um, which then increases your risk of osteoporosis. That's usually when you have too low a body fat uh, percentage and your period stops. Um, and there tends to be some difficulties with um, mental health and 
food restriction and things like that. So that's the, the ultimate um, form of depletion on our body. So now that we know what the autonomic nervous system is and how overstimulation and dysregulation can happen, then how does CrossFit play into this? So CrossFit is exercise. And like I said earlier, exercise stimulates the sympathetic nervous system because we need our heart rate to increase. We need our breathing rate to increase. We need to sweat. We need to uh, shunt our blood to our organs and divert them to our muscles in order for us to physically be able to do the exercise. And CrossFit is the ultimate form of exercise in regards to high intensity. Um, and that's, that's the point of CrossFit is to make sure that our heart rate is at a high enough low to make it high intensity. And while we're both doing metabolic conditioning and strength training and gymnastics. So what tends to happen um, when we are already overstimulated and we might be leading into the depletion category and then we add CrossFit on top of it, we're just still creating that imbalance of overactive fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system. And we can use CrossFit to help our nervous system adapt to those changes. Um, that's why cold plunge therapy is becoming so popular um, or sauna use um, or um, other forms of manipulating our nervous system. We can use those things and CrossFit to help our nervous system adapt to change better, right? So the more that we give a stimulus to our body, um, a certain type of stimulus, um, especially if we're using exercise in that higher intensity, um, then our nervous system will be able to function better at those higher levels. But again, the problem is the coming back down. So we're really, really good as a, as a, as a society to go, 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 do, 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 and grind it out. But we have a really hard time of uh, slowing things down, returning back to baseline, and doing it um, mindfully. Um, you scrolling on your phone is also sympathetic overdrive in some capacity, depending on what you are listening to. And that intent behind reducing that fight or flight is not there. So um, we can use tools in order to reduce that fight or flight um, after we already have stimulated it with CrossFit. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So in terms of CrossFit after a miscarriage, that is a miscarriage is essentially one of the largest forms of depletion, right? You are pregnant. Um, you have, while in that first trimester, your hormones are changing. Your blood um, volume is larger than when you aren't pregnant. You have created a, a new organ with the placenta. And then within an instance, you are not pregnant anymore. Um, your body is trying to keep you alive and to survive. Um, usually your hormones are affected. Um, you might be anemic or have low iron 
um, because of the blood loss. And not only physically are things changing, but emotionally and mentally, you just went through something that is one of the most traumatic experiences that you will ever experience. So in theory, in all of that, our autonomic nervous system and our sympathetic nervous system is overstimulated. And if we add CrossFit in on top of that depletion that you're already in, then we can have difficulties down the road, such as uh, more of that higher level depletion of autoimmune disease or difficulties with fertility um, because your menstrual cycle might be different because of hormonal changes um, and stuff like that. So what I usually recommend, um, even before I had my own miscarriage, so it was interesting to be able to take my own advice that my own professional medical advice that I give my patients that I had to experiment on myself, I did whatever I could to reduce my sympathetic nervous system response and promote a better environment so that my autonomic nervous system can allow healing to happen. And how did that look like? Or what did that look like? So I knew in terms of exercise, I knew exercise is important for my mental health and my physical health. So I went for walks and did some hiking and took the dogs for walks and stuff like that. Um, but I also had a friend of mine, um, just because her name is Erin Stone. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, she is um, owner of 12 Stones um, CrossFit um, in Kennewick, Washington with her husband, Todd. And she has been um, an amazing friend and employer to me um, and is really well aware of exercise and pregnancy and postpartum spaces. So I knew I could trust her to um, make me something that I could follow that was easy um, in terms of implementing it into my weekly routine, but also um, that wasn't too overstimulating in my body. So she really focused on um, not things for time. Um, she focused on rest. Um, she focused more on isolated movements um, that my body um, would naturally want to perform. <clears throat> and uh, I was not in the mental headspace to be able to do that myself. So I knew I needed someone to help me figure it out. Um, I also made sure that I fed myself, even though I didn't want to feed myself. Um, <clears throat> I really focused on like, just if I had actually given birth um, to this baby, um, I uh, ate more protein and fat-based meals, um, made sure that there was a lot of vegetables and fruit in order to replenish um, all the things that I lost during the healing process of the miscarriage. Um, I did breathing activities. Um, so um, the main nerve that is associated with the autonomic nervous system is the vagus nerve, which is V-A-G-U-S. And it comes from your uh, brain stem and then goes down your neck and into your chest and into your abdomen. 
Um, so it controls all those organs, like we said earlier. And so we can activate that nerve, which activate is a good thing, um, to tell it that it's safe, that everything is good. And then in theory allows for your body to work more efficiently. So we can do that by breathing. We can do that by meditating. Uh, we can, um, smells that are relaxing to you, uh, music that's relaxing to you, um, prayer, um, singing, uh, there's so many things that could, um, help reduce that nervous system, massage, chiropractor, acupuncture, all of that. Um, so we want to think about all the things that we can do, um, to help uh, get our system back into balance. And so I was really deliberate in all of that. And I'm fortunate enough to, one, have the resources to be able to access that stuff. Um, at the time, uh, thank goodness I was not working at the time. Um, if I, uh, my last employer, um, I would have understood what was happening and had would give me grace and allow me to take time off. Um, but that is a rarity. Um, we don't even have federally mandated maternity leave in this country. Um, so we sure as well don't have any mandates on miscarriages or stillbirths. And, um, so I was very privileged that I wasn't working, um, at the time. So I could dedicate a lot of time and focus to my healing. Um, and, um, I also had the knowledge of all of this in order to be able to help the healing process. And so that's why I wanted to share that today. Um, if you do have any questions, um, please do not hesitate to reach out, whether it's email, um, on the website, or on Instagram. Um, part two is going to happen after this, uh, where we will dive deeper into how we can create safety in our bodies so that we can continue to do CrossFit while supporting our menstrual cycle, fertility, and pregnancy and postpartum journeys. Um, that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks, um, and that's more associated with the polyvagal theory, which we'll talk about that, um, and make sure that we can continue living the life that we want to live um, while honoring our body of where it's at. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're wanting more insights and tidbits for your prenatal and postpartum journey, you can find us in a few places. If you're wanting to read my blog, schedule a free connection call, join the newsletter, or check out free PDF resources, head to our website at dualitypublichealthandwellness.com. If you're wanting to be a part of a supportive and uplifting community, head to my Instagram at dualitypublichealthandwellness.com and shoot me a DM. As always, rating, reviewing, and subscribing to, to Duality in Motion really helps the platform reach as many people as possible. Yeah.